Hello and welcome to Platforms for Future. This podcast is about building and scaling B2B platform ventures to help you to accelerate and de-risk your journey with practical tips and insights. In our conversations, we talk to founders, executives, and experts uncovering what they experienced and learned building their ventures. But we also cover new trends like ecosystem strategies, IoT and data platforms, Web3 and sustainability. This podcast is complementary to our Platform Innovation Kit toolset and the Platform Academy, where you can find more tools and learning opportunities for you and your team. For more information, please visit platforminnovationkit.com. And now, enjoy today's conversation. Hello and welcome to our uh, new podcast, Platforms for Future. So I'm, as usual, with my great co-host, Matthias. Hi, Matthias. Hi, Nathalie. Hi, and today we are very pleased to welcome Mr. Florian Klemt, who's the co-founder and CTO of the Fashion Cloud Platform. Now, I'm here in fashion, so um, I'm all excited, and uh, uh, I would uh, like to let you uh, introduce yourself, uh, Florian. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, yes, Can you my tell name us is... what the platform is about and who you are and give us uh, you know, uh, uh, a bit uh, of insight uh, of uh, this uh, very exciting title? <laughs> sure, happy to. Um, yes, first about myself. My name is Florian. I'm 39 years old from Hamburg, Germany, and I'm one of the co-founders of Fashion Cloud. Uh, my role here is the CTO, so I'm the technical co-founder. Uh, I studied uh, computer science here in Hamburg. And um, from day one, I was the one doing all the coding, setting everything up, and then also hiring the first developers, which was the start of an exciting uh, leadership journey for myself. Um, but more about Fashion Cloud, maybe to start with. Um, we are B2B, a business-to-business company, um, a platform to be more precise. The, yeah, the, the players on the platform, our customers are uh, on the one side, the fashion brands that are selling close to the other side of the platform, which are the, uh, the retail stores online or also traditionally offline. And um, our main core yeah, business is what we call the content area, which means um, the brands use our platform to distribute the digital material about the clothes, so the, the image of the T-shirt, the description, the colors, uh, the IDs um, to us, and we distribute them to the retailers in one single easy-to-use way and format. The reason why this is important is because the brands have all different systems, all different data types, and it's impossible for the retailers to make sense of that. Um, so our platform solves that problem for them. Very interesting. And hi, Florian. Um, as Natalie indicated, fashion rings a bell for all the ladies. So how does it come that you are part of a fashion company? So uh, can you maybe talk a bit about the origin of this uh, platform? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I myself have no fashion background and I don't think I dress very fashionable. Um, but, you know, in essence, we are a tech company in the fashion industry. And uh, yeah, the idea was also quite interesting. I would say maybe a bit of a typical startup journey with an initial idea that was a bit different than what we have now. Um, and we started out to build um, an app, a fashion shopping app, 
Um, but we thought it should be a bit different than, you know, the, I don't know, the Zalando app or other shopping apps out there. And we thought, would it be great if you could see in the app only the clothes that are in walking distance within the shops near around you. So when you want to buy something, you don't have to, you know, order it and get shipping and then it takes a while and then, you know, want to send it back and all this, this hassle. We thought, okay, just go into the shop, try it on uh, and buy it there and maybe buy even more. Um, and we started with idea and everyone really liked it. So the retailers we talked to and uh, with my other co-founder, Rene, he has a great network in the fashion industry. So he got connected to yeah the first initial customers and they said, well, this is a great idea, but we don't have the data you need in order to build this app. And we were, we were shocked at first. It's a, you know, the 21st century, everything is data driven. There's so much e-commerce out there. Um, but the retailers that are in this business and have been in this business for, yeah, decades and maybe even centuries um, don't have the basics to do, yeah, modern business. So then first we were really disappointed and said, okay, well, now we have a big problem. Um, now we have to build up this, this database of, of you know, images and, and, and all the stuff we would like to show on this app. And once we kept talking to customers and said, yeah, yeah, we're going to build this database. Don't worry. We're going to, um, we're going to solve this problem. And, you know, what about the app? And they said, yeah, you know, app is great and stuff, but what about the database? Can we get in there? Can we connect it to our e-commerce? Can we connect it to our own internal systems? And then we quickly realized that's actually the bigger problem and, uh, and the problem we wanted to focus on. So we changed from this B2C focused app to the B2B focused yeah, content database, which then became Fashion Cloud. So can you give us a, a few numbers, maybe? How many? Uh, so so the, the, the platform was founded in uh, 2015. And exactly. uh, I mean, uh, today, I think you've got, a very, I know you have very, very big numbers of users. Do you want to give us uh, a little bit of a, an idea? Yeah, sure. So all this happened, as you mentioned, seven years ago. And yeah, a lot has happened since then. Um, from a company perspective, we are now have grown to 86 uh, people, uh, of which are 25 developers in my team. So I also have the, the biggest team. As I mentioned, we are a tech company, so building the product is, is one of our most important things to do. Um, we also, at uh, around four years ago, merged together with a startup in Amsterdam, um, which then enabled us to get more into uh, like the another business area that we also have now, which is the, the reorder or order topic, where um, which we built on top of the content area that you now can, as a retailer, at any time look for uh, more clothes that you want to order and, and do that through our platform. Again, one interface, one connection to us, and you get connected to 500 brands uh, super easy and seamlessly. Um, and this is uh, yeah, a, a new product that we were able to um, scale up with the help of another startup that we are now 100% joined. It's all fashion cloud. It's all one DNA, one culture, uh, but also pretty exciting step along the way. Uh, and and customer-wise, we have um, over... 15,000 retail customers. So I think it's 17,000 something um, from all over the world. Um, the, the core customer base, of course, is in Germany because um, we can integrate into their systems better and also things like real-time ordering and shipping is easier when it's not too far, but we also have customers in Australia or in the US that log in and, and download all the you know, the images they need for the online shop or for the systems about the clothes, um, which 
happens around 1.2 million times a month. So 1.2 million downloads of, of content, manual downloads um, a month. On top of that, we also have the API connection, which enables you know e-commerce systems or ERP systems to automatically sync and download the data, which is uh, happening around 10 million times a day. Um, so quite a big system, quite a lot of customer base, and the number of brands that provide content to us is uh, around 500. What you describe is, um, is, is all the network effects you're um, seeing at the moment. But before you have network effects, you need to solve the chicken egg problem of a platform. So yeah. I can imagine a lot of people, also you, you came to them and said, I, I need your data, but mm. data wasn't really available in a digital way. So how do you yeah. convince um, the sellers of those closes to give you data in a digital way? So how is, do you solve those chicken egg problem? Yeah, yeah, good question. And I think that's the challenge for every platform. And uh, yeah, we've been there as well. And um, the, I think that the very basic answer is um, it's all about yeah building trust. So I mentioned before, for example, in the Yamakawa founder already had a good network. And so we did have some initial customers. We targeted this uh, also... Um, yeah, these early adopters, as you know, from like the, the theory of it. So don't waste your time with the laggards or with people that need more features and more con convincing. We really had customers that saw 100% the vision we had. Like we talked to them, we didn't show them very much um, and really said, we want to solve this problem for you. And they said, great, like we need someone to solve this problem. So they didn't only support us because they liked the product. They also wanted us to be successful so we can solve this problem for them and for everyone else in the industry. So we really became and still a big partner of everyone. And we don't try to be competitors with anyone or try to, um, yeah, we were always trying to be fair and, and, and transparent with everyone and, and really build this trust. And, and that helped us a long way. So these early adopters uh, introduced us to brands. Um, the brands, again, some early adopters trusted us with their data. Um, and yeah, this is how it really started initially. And then, of course, we had to, yeah, make sure we don't break the trust. We make good on our promises. We build what we're supposed to build. We build um, mechanisms that the brands can control who gets to see the data and who, who doesn't get to see the data. So um, yeah, we had to yeah, fulfill these promises to make sure they, the trust stays alive. And so this kind of like then spread the word in the industry and the industry is not very big and also not very modern. So a new startup, trying something new and to solve a real problem was something that quickly um, made the round and everyone heard about it. Um, and then when we proved that we can actually also deliver, um, it yeah, kind of got us more traction and more traction. And yeah, we just kept going at it and, and we and try our best to succeed. And then at one point, the magical moment happens when the chicken and egg problem becomes the platform effect that doesn't slow you down, but yeah, speeds you up. And this is a, yeah, a great moment in time. Indeed. And uh, uh, Matthias, so uh, obviously we only, it's a podcast, we're only hearing the voice, but Matthias saw me smile when you mentioned the word trust, because I always go on about how trust is a, a, the important topic. And so... Yeah. Just to understand properly how you started, if I heard you correctly, there were kind of two steps in your trust building. The first one was more about um, the the pilot phase where you build it trust. You build trust mm -hmm. uh, by by working with the customers and and making sure that the product was working. 
Is that right? Yep. And then the second phase was a bit more industrialized and also maybe a bit more about data sharing and, and uh, transparency of, of data usage and stuff like that. Can you just yep. go a little bit into this, please? Yeah, of course. Of course. As you mentioned, the initial phase was a lot about, yeah, we were a new startup. We had great ideas, but we didn't have a lot to show for. Of course, we worked hard to, to build the first prototype. But at the end of the day, the, what we did was we, we went to retail stores and we went to, to brands and, as I mentioned before, try to identify who's an early adopter. So who is someone that is going to listen to us and who's going to believe in our vision? And if we felt like someone was really uh, into that, that can have different signs, for example, um, a good sign is when they like you. Yeah, they have a lot of, they don't have a lot of time and, you know, they're very busy, but if they decide to spend some time with a new startup um, because they like what they're, what they're saying and they like the people, um, that's initially already a trust building exercise. And, and, and you only have like, you know, two, three, four, five of these and that's enough. And, and that's what we focused on and, and listened to them and, and talked to them and told them what we want to build. And then they realized, okay, this is a, yeah, a great tool to digitalize the whole industry and, and solve a lot of problems that are unsolved. And then, you know, all the data, for example, all the data was sitting at the brand side. They already had all the pictures and all that stuff. But the retailers couldn't access them because they needed a very complicated system um, to connect to 300 different uh, brand systems. So everyone kind of like was like, okay, that's just the way it is, right? So, well, the data is just going to sit there and no one's going to use it, right? And then we came along and said, well, it doesn't have to be this way. How great would it be if the data you're paying for creating and that has so much value for your customers that you have a great relationship with and if they do well, they keep buying more from you. So it's a bit of a, like a win-win situation. How great would it be if we solved this problem for you? And then everyone was like, yeah, that sounds great. And how are you going to do this? And then, yeah, we explained that, okay, well, let's, let's build this database. Let's build this platform. Um, and we told them about the pricing ideas we had. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like, this is something that uh, solves, you know, it's a lot of work, but because we share the work and the costs with all the retailers and not just with one retailer, now it becomes a really economically viable option. Um, but this is, yeah, again, very fact-based. So we did it, of course, as well, but also, yeah, talking to people and just um, getting to know them and saying, hey, do you want to spend time with us? Do you have time to try our prototypes, to uh, to have meetings with us? And, and, and this is really the initial seed that we planted in, in really a few people in the industry. But then, of course, these are also the people that everyone else is listening to because they are open for new ideas. And then other people say, hey, I heard you're working with Fashion Cloud. What is that about? Like you're always someone that is, you know, knowing what's going on and, and you have a good reputation. And then that person would say, yeah, you should try it too. And if you have a bit of money to spare, like go for it. Like it's uh, still maybe takes another year or year and a half to fully maybe have the features that you need, but um, talk to them already. And this is kind of like how it, how it started and how we build up the, the trust. And then of course, with that, the features we need to make it a really commercially viable product. Yeah, so maybe one short question regarding your business model. So mm -hmm. the the retailers are paying for the service or the yeah. producers or the um, um, close producers right. are paying for it? Yeah. Or who's paying for it? Yeah, so <clears throat> that's again a good example how we 
build that business model together with our customers. So initially, and that's still the case, we said, okay, the, the brands are already paying the money to create the, the, the content. Um, and the real, real retailers, they are the ones consuming the content and, you know, selling more clothes online and, and selling more clothes in the stores, having more data to act. So they should be the ones paying for it. So that's that is the initial business model, which is still uh, true today. That retailers can buy like a monthly subscription, and then depending on how they want to use the content, um, they pay us a fee. If you, if they want to use it for online or for e-commerce, it's a bit more expensive. If they have it's a very big retailer, it's also a bit more expensive. But if you're a small retailer and and just want to manually download some stuff, um, yeah, it could be around you know two hundred euros a month or so. Um, so. At the end, it's also not really a transaction between the retailers and the brands it's more like between the retailers and you as fashion cloud but not the direct exactly yeah exactly but then that was that went really well for a very long time but then some of these bigger brands because also again like as we build the reputation and the customer base um, customer base we also attracted bigger customers and they said well we are used to something else we have our own system which is to be honest not as great and you know like it's it's pretty old and pretty crappy but it's there and it works and we would like to remove it and move all the content distribution to fashion cloud. We said, great, that's awesome, but we can't do that because in, with our platform, we pay for it and we maintain it and our customers can use it for free. In the business model of fashion cloud, the customers would have to pay a fee and that's not going to be super great for the majority of our customers. And then we said, great, let's build something for you that makes it work. And then we called it like the kind of like the premium brand subscription where now the brand pays us a monthly fee. And in return, they get, depending on how much they pay, I don't know, like a hundred, 500, a thousand uh, retailers that can download their content for free. So it's kind of like a both uh, options are available, depends on the needs of the brand. The brands can join for free if they want, but if they're big brands and they want to provide the service for free to their customers, they can kind of take over the costs. Um, for them. There are also some additional, let's say, tools um, those brands can use. Um, so as, as we say, uh, for us, it's, it's always a kind of a combination we see. Um, it's a marketplace on one side, but on the other side, also kind of a software as a service business. Um, yep. So the marketplace thing where you exchange the data is also supporting this SaaS model or the SaaS model is supporting the marketplace. You can argue back and forth, but anyway, it's always a kind of a combination of both, which um, makes a platform really successful over the long term. So you need to, yeah. maybe you start with a uh, marketplace as you, and then you continue to build additional capabilities on um, in this in a, in a software layer, and you provide additional kind of services, and this makes yeah. even further the value proposition bigger of your platform, and then. Yep. or the platform becomes more attractive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is this is how the evolution happened from our initial product, the content area, which is still our, our biggest uh, yeah, and most revenue uh, bringing product. But like you said, we built more services on top of that with yeah the, the reorder marketplace. Um, we're going to build that up even more with smart recommendations that we now also connect to the retailer systems. Before that, we were only connected to the brand systems to get their data and, and to send orders to their system. But now we can also... Um, evaluate and, 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 and analyze the stock of the retailer and automatically either immediately send them something or create an order 
or send them recommendations. So for example, if, if you as a retailer want to make sure you always have black socks in stock because you always need them, um, we can connect to your store, to your software. And um, once the, your stock of black socks goes below 10, we immediately create an order um, without you doing anything. Um, and then it will get sent to you. So this is another example how we build things on top of each other. And there's even more ideas uh, around that, how we can uh, yeah, increase the value proposition. Uh, but staying very focused on, on our target, on our market, which is for us the wholesale industry. It's also something that uh, kind of became apparent once we started that all what we do is, is in the context of the wholesale industry. That means the brand selling goods in bulk to the retailers. It's not about yeah, direct consumer or other, other things. That's what the brands are really good at. And that's also what we tell the brands, this is what you should focus on, like build your brand, you know, get your manufacturer processes right, you know, work on all the stuff that you are good at and that is, you know, the main value proposition for you as a brand. And let's us handle the whole wholesale connections with the retailers, which is a lot of work. Um, and we are perfectly set up for that. And this is kind of like how we want to grow uh, our services even more in the future. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoy our podcast and you can learn more about building and scaling a successful platform business. I'm Matthias, CEO of Fastbreak One. And as you know, we at Fastbreak One are platform entrepreneurs by heart. Since over 20 years, we are building new platforms and this makes us one of the most experienced platform venture builders around the globe. If you are a corporate and you tried out different strategies, consultants, IT partners, but your platform initiative struggles to scale, please check out our assessment services. For example, we work closely together with a leading insurance company who tried to establish a platform for two years, but the results were below expectations and the risk to fail was very high. Within one month, we helped them to understand the bottlenecks and created a step-by-step -step plan to scale. Today, we are working very closely with the company and the platform became a market leader. Yes, we are no consultants. We are entrepreneurs and we love to share the risk and go full in in building new platform ventures. Learn more about our experience and our practices of work at our website www.fastbreak.one or send us an email to contact at fastbreak.one. And now let's go back to the conversation. You mentioned earlier uh, that you you joined forces with a, another startup. It's it's hard enough when you are a startup to to scale and build your culture. And you mentioned you said now we all one company, you know, organization culturally, organizationally culturally. Um, can you tell us a little bit how you've been going through that journey from the mm -hmm. time you were? only fashion cloud and then uh, uh, merging with this other startup and then how you envisage uh, scaling even more because you you said you've already got 85 people so uh, you're on a mm -hmm. high growth uh, uh, trend um, and how do you manage this how, do, how have you been man how have you been managing this and how are you planning to manage this yeah good question um i mean it all started with getting to know each other initially and we only went the, to the next step and pursued this further when we realized we kind of have a similar dna we're both startups that's already a good start it wasn't like a startup and a you know like a 
a bigger company that is kind of like buying us or, or taking us over. It's, it's really like on eye level. Um, and the, the culture was already quite similar and, um, they have done the same as we did, um, which was again, a reason to, to join forces. They hired great people. And then it was just a matter of getting to know each other. That was the main work we did. And actually, even before we signed anything, before we did anything official, we already um, shared this idea with all the people already in our company and they did the same. And we already like joined forces way before we'd made it official with working together, um, sharing a lot of secrets, sharing a lot of trust and also doing all the cultural things and fun stuff together that we do on a regular basis, for example, the camp. So every, every year we, we take the whole company to a holiday house um, over a long weekend and we have a lot of fun together. We share some strategy stuff. We have some workshops, but the main reason is to, to bond and to get to know everyone. And we did that already before we even merged. So everyone kind of spent time with, with everyone else. And then we could, figure out, hey, should we go even further? And do we like the other people? And the very, very clear answer from everyone was yes. Those are great people. They're very smart. And they're on top of that already have a great product and uh, a great stand in the market in, in Belgium, uh, Netherlands, and, and Luxembourg, um, where we were more, more strong in, in, in the German-speaking region. So again, we came to this conclusion, this is a really good win-win situation. And uh, it wasn't just like a management decision um, to say like, hey, you know, the numbers look good. Let's do this. As again, like making sure that was the main concern that the culture is, uh, is going to stay um, and even improve by joining someone else. And this is also something uh, we experience when we talk about uh, scaling up a venture, scaling up a platform. So initially you have a great team, uh, but if you want to scale, you need to create also a culture. So you go from a team, people, individuals with their great capabilities working together towards a, a, an innovate, a innovative culture, an innovative ex, um, environment where everybody can contribute to further, yeah, innovate the whole business model, the whole business, the whole, the whole platform. Maybe you can talk a bit more about this aspect um, as people are a, a crucial factor for every venture. So how do you yeah. ensure that you have this innovative culture within fashion cloud? Yeah. I mean, I think the basis for everything again is trust. It sounds so simple and maybe it's a word that everyone's sick of hearing, but um But if you really think about it and, and if you really pursue this, then a lot of things make sense. So uh, we hire people that we can trust. So that means we have to make sure in the hiring process that we find people. And then once they, they start working here, that we don't regret our decision and say, well, we can't trust it. Um, because it's super important. Like we are not trying to build an organization of, of, of micromanagers. Like we want to have people that are intrinsically motivated, like what they're doing, are smart, and then we try to help them as much as we can um, to do their job, whatever that means. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned before, I think the recruitment process is super crucial um, to make sure you find the right people and that they join for the right reasons. Um, if we would just be like the people offering the most money, for example, uh, we might be able to hire a lot of people really fast. That's great. Like it's a great number on your KPI sheet. But I don't believe you're going to find the right people that are going to yeah, enhance your culture and uh, and be trustworthy and 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 uh, make your life easier along the way. And this is something that we really always 100% followed all the time. Like even in the first 
you know, weeks and months of this, uh, when we were looking for people, we we knew we need to grow and we knew we need to find a lot of developers, which are even harder to find. Um, so there was a lot of tempting ideas uh, or tempting offers from external agencies or from, you know, quick wins here, quick wins there. And we always stand firm on our process and our beliefs and said, no, it's going to take time. It's okay. It's going to be worth it in the end. And now seven years later, I can say it was really worth it. And we're still pursuing the same approach and the hiring process is still quite similar to what it was um, seven years ago. Maybe you can also share some insights about your hiring process. So as you said, um, hiring is crucial. You need to ensure that you find the right people. So finding them is one part, but after they apply, you need to check, you need to go through interviews and so on. Maybe you can share some 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 insights about your hiring process. How do you yeah. check if, okay, some capabilities you can easily check, but also yeah. about this trust part. How can you check this throughout an interview or a series of interviews? How can you really find out if it's a trustful fit yeah. for your company? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think the first part is also important to not ignore, like you have to find these people and they also have to know something about your company. So anything you can do to be more transparent about what you're doing is, is good. Like you don't have to be, Uh, on everyone's radar because you know only super big companies like you know facebook amazon everyone knows they exist and they might actively um apply there but for most companies you have to approach them and ha have to tell them hey we exist you should come but once they know that you exist and they check your linkedin your instagram uh, or your blogs or anything then it's uh, important to uh yeah to be transparent and share how you work That's already the first step. And then during the interview, um, again, I think it's important to share what you're looking for. <clears throat> for example, for software developers, that means um, we always require a coding challenge, which um, the candidate has six hours of time for. So that's a big commitment. Um, but it's important to us, first of all, if people are not willing to spend the time on that, then it's already a bit of a signal for us. Like, okay, well, um, Yeah, maybe it's not the right fit. Of course, that's also hard to say. Like, imagine like you apply for 10 jobs and all of them require this for you. But it's also a message to the developer saying, hey, we, we are also going to spend the time reviewing this. We always provide extensive feedback, which everyone is always super happy about. And also, you can be sure that every one of your colleagues that you're going to work with in the future has gone through the same process. So actually, it's a great thing that you have to do this because you have the chance to work with really great people that have proven themselves in the, in the same way. So that's already the, um, the first step. And as I explained before, it's, it's about how you look at this. There's a lot of people that might say, oh, this is just you know, annoying and they're just going to want to waste my time. But because we have a real reason to do this that we also explain, they get it and most of them like it. And we have a really high uh, percentage of people, I think over 90% that are happy to do it because for those reasons that we explain to them. So that's a big part of it. And then the second part is, uh, is the interview, where, again, we want to make sure we have enough time. And uh, it's also like a, um, a mutual thing that it's not just for us to get to know the candidate, but also the candidate to get to know us. So I always schedule three hours for the interview, which, again, seems crazy. But it really gives us the space and the time to talk left and right from these standard questions. So most of the times it's just, you know, explain to us, you know, about your last job, what have you been doing, what are the problems? And it really becomes a conversation where you can ask questions like, hey, why did it go this way? What did you do? What did you think about it? And then it's just these 
nuances. First of all, it makes it very comfortable for the candidates so they can you know, relax and share a lot of uh, yeah, honest information about themselves. Um, and we, we do the same thing. We are totally honest about things that are going well or maybe we want to improve in the future here. And at the end of the day, it was really about just getting to know the person. So through these different questions and different stories, they were able to tell uh, stories we told uh, and things we shared about how we work and what the kind of expectations we have. Um, yeah, everyone gets to know everyone. And then it's much easier to make a decision rather than just saying, okay, I need to know that they're super smart. So I have these five questions for it and they need to, uh, yeah, we have some sort of assessment center or same with the coding challenge. Like there's like stand, super standard coding challenges that don't tell you anything because it's just like very basic, uh, you know, algorithms or things like that. But because our coding challenge is like a full on small application, we don't only get to see if they get this done. We also see like, okay, how do they approach a problem? How do they structure, you know, the, the, the project? Like are they experienced in this on a day-to-day -day basis? And uh, are they consistent in how they write code? Because if they're not, then how would I know they do this every day for the last five years or so? So it's really about the nuances and taking the time. Um, there's no, yeah, and this is maybe the main uh, conclusion to it. There's no quick fix, no quick shortcut way. Um, the longer you take, the more time you take, I think the better your result is going to be. So uh, does that uh, saying apply also to, to the, the scaling on the customer side? So <laughs> we've been looking now uh, at uh, how you're, you've been uh, scaling and, and or growing and scaling and how you're planning to scale from a, a people perspective and culture perspective. Mm -hmm. What about from a, a customer's and users of the platform perspective? What are your goals look, looking mm -hmm. forward? Um, yeah, I mean, we approach it in a similar way. We want to make sure we have the right customers and they really like our product. It's not just about the numbers and saying, okay, we'll just take anyone. Um, if they, yeah, no one's forced to use our product, so that already works quite well. <coughs> um, but in the future, of course, like we want to expand into other markets in Europe. And as I mentioned before, we also want to provide more and more services to the customers we already have. So this is, um, yeah, the, the plans for the future to um, grow the, um, the, the functionality and the features we can offer, the value we can offer, and expand, expand into other markets, starting with our European neighbors. So you also mentioned in, in our uh, briefing call that you have two uh, kind of strategies. First is to expand to other uh, locations in Europe. So also going from Germany to France and, uh, but on the other side also uh, to deepen the existing relationships. So um, yeah. as we maybe briefly discussed earlier regarding this the software business and uh, taking care of some business processes and so on. Yeah. Is this, is this your, 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 your main strategy going broad with different countries and deeper with existing uh, customers? Yeah, exactly. So there's, and these are totally different challenges that we are kind of tackling at the same time, which doesn't make it much easier. But um, the challenges for us about new markets is that the markets are quite different in the retailer structure. So the, um, in Germany, it's, it's quite a good setup. Like we have a lot of like, yeah, medium and slightly bigger than medium customers that you know, are already quite professional. They have like, good IT systems. Um, so that's a good start. Um, and has a really strong foundation for our business model. 
But then other markets might be completely different. So looking at Spain and France, for example, it's it's more about really, really few, but really, really big uh, retail stores that you have to then connect to. And they have then, again, different requirements. Um, and uh, yeah, other markets are, for example, maybe less technical. Looking at Italy, like they, there's a lot of really, really small brands. Uh, I don't know, just picture like this really artisan shoemaker in Italy and a lot of really great products coming from there, but they don't have, you know, um, international IDs for the products or like they don't have ERP systems. So that's another challenge that we have to crack and, and see what we can offer to, to provide value to them. And then when it comes to broadening the, yeah, just, just broadening the, um, what you mentioned, the, the customer base and, uh, and now going deeper into uh, the existing customers, this is another challenge where we uh, yeah, focus now more on our uh, great account management team, making sure that they get better at upselling and, 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 um, and also have the time and, and the capacity to do that more um, rather than always signing new customers with the sales team. It sounds a bit interesting if I understood it correctly. So in Germany, we have a more fragmented fashion market than in France and Italy. Um, when it comes to the retail side, for sure. It's, um, I think this uh, German Mittelstand, like the medium-sized company also applies to the fashion industry. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of really great um, stores in every bigger city. There's like a, a bigger uh, clothes store um, where the people go and shop. And it's not so much uh, one chain across all of Germany. Um, and yeah, other markets, uh, for example, with uh, a Corti glass in, in, in Spain, for example, they have a different uh, setup uh, like Germany. And we have to adapt to that. And it's also interesting, wise because in, for a platform, it's always good to target the long tail of a, of a market. So if the more fragmented the market is, the easier is it to to enter or maybe to establish yeah. a platform. So now you have established maybe in Germany in a more fragmented market. Now you go yeah. international and you go to France or Italy with less fragmentation. So it seems yeah. like you described, it's also harder than to establish a platform business in those markets. Um, yeah. Why not going to other markets where you have also a same kind of a picture like in Germany with higher yeah. fragmentations? Yeah. yeah, for example, in, in the Nordics, it's it's more similar than Germany. And this is already where we are uh, yeah, much more successful than, uh, for example, France and Spain. Um, yeah, and that's also a, a strategy that we uh, pursue. Um, but it's, France is a very big market and we also, yeah, uh, really try to, to crack that one and see what we have to do to uh, also uh, serve those, uh, yeah, those customers that are uh, much bigger and have those requirements. But uh, I think uh, based on what Matthias just said, maybe it was uh, it, it's actually an advantage that you could start with Germany on a fragmented market where you can gather a lot of users, a lot of data, a lot of experience, um, and then go on to markets which are a bit less fragmented. Uh, but at least you've got a very uh, strong base uh, from a product perspective, from a customer base perspective, from a financial perspective also, from a, from also yeah. from a brand perspective, uh, your, yeah. your brand, so. Yeah, no, exactly. I think uh, we didn't know this at the start, but looking back now, I think we we're very lucky that we started in Germany because the market is really good for it. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, the technology, um, the systems are quite uh, well connected already 
and and the the players have a high need for modernization for digitalization and we were quite well received um and yeah it's of course it wasn't easy but i think we we really started in the right market and now we can use you know the the brand we built for ourselves the fashion cloud brand and the products that we've built and the expertise that we have uh, gained to crack those even more difficult markets like uh, france and spain so now where you, when you when you scale up um let's have a, a, a again a, a few on culture as we say culture is an important tool to scale up um and now you're getting bigger and bigger you have maybe international offices you have uh, offices in multiple locations with a with a team spreading around the world or maybe in europe or whatever so how do you ensure that everybody in the different locations with different nationalities and whatever, but they still incorporate this fashion cloud culture and, uh, mm. and, and, and live it day by day. So how do you ensure yeah. that you have a company culture uh, all over your places? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think on one side, it's our job to also provide the, yeah, the tools and also the, the funds, the money to, to achieve this. So as I mentioned before, the camp is super crucial for us, for everyone to get together and get to know each other. And that also means, you know, flying people from the US in uh, or from, uh, yeah, from France or from, from uh, Denmark and make sure, yeah, we don't say, hey, this is now becoming too expensive and let's, let's change it. It's all becoming too complicated now finding a space uh, for, for 85 people. And, uh, and the, yeah, it's really important to resist this urge to now say, well, we've made it this far, let's now change it and, and, and not spend this money anymore or not, not do these things anymore that made us successful in the first place. Uh, so I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind that this brought us this far and it will help us bring it, us even further. So let's keep doing what we know works. Um, yeah, and the other side is also, again, like finding people that are excited to contribute to something meaningful and, uh, and are smart and, and independent and like to be independent um, so they can yeah, run a bit free and uh, there's maybe a bit more chaos and it's not always super clear how to do things, but then we provide this freedom and say, hey, just figure it out. You know what the overall goal is. So yeah, whatever, whatever ideas you have to make it successful, however you can approach this customer or approach this problem, uh, fine by us and not always having to prove everything. And like I said, it's really the opposite of micromanagement. Um, which also is, is easier said than done. It's not just about letting the people run free. It's also a really, really important job for us to distribute information to everyone because people can only make good decisions if they have all the information that we have. Um, and this is our main job, um, kind of like as a founders team, um, to keep this organization running, to not always do everything ourselves, um, to delegate it to other people, but then not just like, tell them, hey, you need to do exactly this way, exactly how I would have done it, but just explain the problem, tell them, solve it somehow and give them all the information they need to be able to do it in the right way. I think Florian, you can look forward to many more uh, camps because you know when I was working for Cisco, we used to have those yearly camps with sometimes uh, like six or seven thousand people. So you know you've got some uh, a bit of yeah. uh, leeway still until you grow uh, and you can still handle these. I'm sure the whole team will be very happy. I agree with you; it's very important. Uh, the, the the culture and the The delegation of problem solving that you talked about is very important also. And I guess that's a, uh, also the type of stuff you're validating in your three hours interviews, right? <laughs> that that exactly. uh, spirit to uh, problem solving. 
Um, Matthias, I think we're coming to uh, slowly to the end uh, of yeah, the it podcast. Was, it was a very interesting conversation, uh, especially about talking to a tech guy in the fashion industry and then talking about culture and uh, and then to people development um, to learn more how how can you build up trust within your company, but also or the trust within your company builds the trust. Uh, environment you can have with your customers and your your partners in your in your market um so yes also great insights florian and uh, also very interesting to talk about the strategy you have and how fashion cloud developed and yeah coming to a last question um we always ask our guests about yeah kind of a leadership advice so what would be your maybe most important or key advice to other leaders uh, of platforms based on your experience, based on what you have gone through and so on. So is there any one kind of yeah, single most important advice? Um, I would say my most valuable advice I can give is a focus on learning. Um, and I don't mean always like, okay, like the, all the Silicon Valley funds out there say, okay, read 10 books a day or something, but make learning the main driver of your team. So uh, enable an environment where people can experiment, where can they, where they can learn. They, it's a great way to attract them. It's a great way to retain people. So um, like if we provide a good environment for learning, and this is also something we are very transparent about in the hiring process, that uh, you can really grow your career here. You can touch anything you want. You can learn anything you want. Um, And uh, we always make sure that every de every developer and every person in our company has a, has a development plan and talks to their leader about where they want to be in six, 12 months. Um, and, uh, and yeah, allow this culture, foster this culture and also adopt it for yourself. You know, learn new things yourself, uh, including letting go, including different leadership topics, technical topics, uh, ways to do different uh, sales strategies. Uh, never really rely on, on anything you think is, is true. Always question everything. Um, and uh, yeah, find your own way, find your own style. Um, yeah, and keep it a bit... Uh, yeah, fluid and, and make sure change is, is a constant part uh, in your in your culture by learning new things and adapting to new things. Um, I think if you make this kind of like part of your uh, of your style and of your environment, then I think you can adapt very easily to new things. And I think you will also have very happy people in your team that uh, yeah are going to help you achieve everyone's goal of becoming a great company. There's a lot of humanity that comes out of what you're saying. Very, yeah. uh, very yeah. inspiring. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thank you for sharing. And uh, maybe looking forward to another conversation in one, two years uh, and then see how you further grow your business and, uh, and fashion cloud. So thank you for joining. It was really interesting. And yeah, looking forward to meet you again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much as well. I think it was a really great conversation. And yeah, let's see what happens in two years. <laughs> thank you, Florian. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye -bye.